Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to another Horror Shots Podcast with me, Casey. I want to thank you all again for downloading and listening to last week's episode. It was fairly well received, I think. However, there's one little interesting bit that I want to mention. Now, for all the downloads and listens that it gets, I have yet to receive a solid review. Not even a solid review. I have yet to receive any reviews that I'm aware of. I think Stitcher has one. And I thank you for whoever put that up there. But uh, if... You guys really want to support the cast and you really like what I'm putting out. Leaving a review is maybe the most important thing that you can do, be it on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcast. I think iTunes gets the biggest reach. So if you could drop a review on there, an honest review, if you don't like the podcast, tell me, give me a one star. I mean, I shouldn't be saying that, but you know, any review is better than no review. Five stars, obviously the best. I mean, if you really like what I do and you fall victim to my sultry voice... And of course, the content I put out, then please, by all means, drop me a review. Other than that, pretty standard stuff. If you do want to get in contact with me, you can hit up my website at horrorshots.com or you can hit me out on Twitter at horrorshotspod or Instagram at horrorshotsphotography. And lastly, on Facebook at horrorshots as well. You can talk to me, you can talk to each other. If you like stuff, you have ideas, feel free to let me know. I love hearing all you guys talk about whatever you want. In the past, I've gotten some really good ideas for casts, and I'm using one today, as a matter of fact. But that's pretty much it for the housekeeping, and we will get right in to the podcast today. Now, was one of my, I I would call them, you know, an Instagram friend, has suggested I look at the Necronomicon and its sort of bearing on popular culture. And while looking into that, I had another idea. I kind of expanded upon the Necronomicon mythos and literature as a whole and thought I'd look at things that people have mistaken for reality when they are complete fiction. Now, I don't mean religion because that can be misconstrued as pure fiction that people take as reality. No, I'm not looking at that so much. That's a whole different ballgame. Today I'm looking more at how people perceive things that are really well done, be it literature or movies or things they read on the internet, and take them and apply real-life qualities to them. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Necronomicon, it is a fictional, and I repeat, fictional grimoire, or a text of magic, appearing in the stories by writer H.P. Lovecraft and his followers. It was first mentioned in Lovecraft's 1924 short story, The Hound, written in 1922, though its purported author, the mad Arab Abdul al-Hazared, had been quoted a year earlier in Lovecraft's The Nameless City. Among other things, the work contains an account of the Old Ones, their history, and the means for summoning them. Now that opens a whole other can of worms as well, So we're not going to get into who the old ones are, but they're very fascinating, and that is definitely something for another cast. But today we're going to stay on topic with the Necronomicon. Other authors, such as Augustus Darleth and Clark Ashton Smith, also cited it in their works. Lovecraft approved, believing such common allusions build up a background of evil. 
Many readers have believed it to be a real work as well, with booksellers and librarians receiving many requests for it. Pranksters have listed it in the Rare Books catalog, and a student smuggled a card in to Yale University for it in the library's card catalog. Capitalizing on the notoriety of the fictional volume, real-life publishers have printed many books entitled Necronomicon since Lovecraft's death. A little bit of history or origin stories of the Necronomicon goes, Lovecraft conceived the name Necronomicon somehow. He didn't really ever make it clear how he came up with it. He said that the title more or less came to him in a dream. Although some have suggested that Lovecraft was influenced by... Robert W. Chambers' collection of short stories, The King in Yellow, which centers on a mysterious and disturbing play in book form. Lovecraft is not to believe to have read that book until 1927 or so, a few years after he first mentioned the Necronomicon. Donald R. Burleson has argued that the idea for the book was derived from Nathaniel Hawthorne, though Lovecraft himself noted that moldy hidden manuscripts were one of the stock features of the Gothic literature. Lovecraft wrote that the title, as translated from the Greek language, meant an image of the law of the dead, compounded respectively from nekros, meaning dead, or vous, nomos, meaning law, and ikon, meaning image. Robert M. Price noted that the title has been variously translated by others as the Book of the Names of the Dead, the Books of the Laws of the Dead, or Book of Dead Names, and possibly even Knower of the Laws of the Dead. S.T. Joshi states that Lovecraft's own entomology is almost entirely unsound. The last portion of it is particularly erroneous since Ikan is nothing more than a neutral adjective suffix and has nothing to do with econ or image. Joshi translates the title as book considering or classifying the dead. Lovecraft was often asked about the veracity of the Necronomicon and always answered that it was completely his invention. In a letter to Willis Conover, Lovecraft elaborated upon his typical answer. I quote, now about the terrible and forbidden books, I am forced to say that most of them are purely imaginary. There never was an Abdul al-Hared or Necronomicon, for I invented these names myself. Robert Bloch devised the idea of Ludwig Prynne and his De Vermis Mysteralis, while the book of Ebon is an invention of Clark Ashton Smith's. Robert E. Howard is responsible for Frederick von Junst, and his Unaspritschilchen Kulten. As for seriously written books on dark, occult, and supernatural themes, in all truth, they don't amount to much. That is why it's more fun to invent mythical works like the Necronomicon and Book of Ibon. Reinforcing the book's fictionalization, the name of the book's supposed author, Abdul al-Hurzed, is not even a grammatically correct Arabic name. Abdul means the worshipper, slave of the, and standing alone, it would make no sense. Al-Hazred is not a surname in the Western sense, but a reference to a person's place of birth, and its English translation starts with another, the. In 1927, Lovecraft wrote a brief pseudo-history of the Necronomicon that was published in 1938 after his death as the History of the Necronomicon. According to this account, the book was originally called Al-Azif, an Arabic word that Lovecraft defined as the nocturnal sound, supposed to be the howling of demons. Drawing on a footnote by Samuel Henley in Henley's translation of Vathic, Henry, 
commenting upon a passage which he translated as those nocturnal insects which presage evil, allude to the diabolic legend of Beelzebub, the Lord of Flies, and to Psalm 91.5, which in some 16th century English Bibles describes buggies by night, where later translations render terror by night. One Arabic-English dictionary translates azif as whistling of the wind, weird sound or noise. Gabriel Usani defined it as the eerie sound of the jinn in the wilderness. The tradition of azif al-jinn is linked to the phenomenon of singing sand. In the history, quote-unquote history, al-Hazred is said to have been a half-crazed Arab who worshipped the Lovecraftian entities Yogg-Sothos and Cthulhu. He's described as being from Sana'a in Yemen and as visiting the ruins of Babylon, the subterranean secrets of Memphis, and the empty quarter of Arabia, where he discovered the nameless city below Irem. In his last years, he lived in Damascus, where he wrote Al-Azif before his sudden mysterious death in 738. In subsequent years, Lovecraft wrote the Azif gained considerable, though serpentitious, circulation among the philosophers of the age. In 950, it was translated into Greek and given the title Necronomicon by Theodorus Philetas, a fictional scholar from Constantinople. This version, quote, impelled certain experimenters to terrible attempts, unquote, before being, quote, suppressed and burned, unquote, in 1050 by Patriarch Michael, a historical figure who died in 1059. After this attempted suppression, the work was only heard of furtively until it was translated from Greek into Latin by Olus Wormius. Both Latin and Greek text, quote-unquote, the history, relates, were banned by Pope Gregory IX in 1232, though Latin editions were apparently published in the 15th century Germany and in 17th century Spain. A Greek edition was printed in Italy in the first half of the 16th century. The Elizabethan magician John Dee allegedly translated the book, presumably, into English, but Lovecraft wrote that this version was never printed and only fragments survive. The connection between Dee and the Necronomicon was suggested by Lovecraft's friend, Frank Belknap Long. According to Lovecraft, the Arabic version of the Al-Azif already had disappeared by the time the Greek version was banned in 1050 though he cites a vague account of a secret copy appearing in San Francisco during the 20th century that later perished in a fire. The Greek version, he writes, was not reported, since the burning of a certain Salem man's library in 1692, which is an apparent reference to the Salem witch trials. According to, quote, the history of the Necronomicon, unquote, the very act of studying the text is inherently dangerous, as those who attempt to master its arcane knowledge generally meet terrible ends. Once again, I have to iterate here that the history of the Necronomicon is 100% fiction. Lovecraft presumably made all this up to enhance the mythos, to spread the word of his Necronomicon and the quote-unquote origins of it. Of course, building a backstory and an environment and a world always engrosses a reader a little bit more. Just look at Tolkien or Game of Thrones or the Song of Fire and Ice, whatever book or show you want to go with there. They all create these elaborate worlds with these elaborate histories for the reader, for the consumer, because it completes the experience. And that's even brought up more by the history citing several locations where the original copies of the Necronomicon are held. The British Museum, the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, 
the Widener Library of Harvard University in Cambridge, the University of Buenos Aires, and the library of the fictional Miskatonic University in the also fictitious Arkham, Massachusetts. The Miskatonic University also holds the Latin translation by Olus Wormius, printed in Spain in the 17th century. So again, adding to the myth by giving locations where this book can be found. It's, it's all very clever. But now let's get into some hoaxes and some alleged translations. We touched on a few, but let's go into a little bit more detail, shall we? Although Lovecraft insisted that the book was of pure invention, and other writers invented passages from the book of their own works, there are accounts of some people actually believing the Necronomicon to be real. Lovecraft himself sometimes received letters from fans inquiring about the Necronomicon's authenticity. Pranksters occasionally listed the Necronomicon for sale in bookstore newsletters or inserted phony entries for the book in library card catalogs, where it may be checked out to one a. Alhazred. The Vatican also receives requests for this book from those who believe the Vatican Library holds a copy. While the stories surrounding the Necronomicon claim that it is an extremely powerful and dangerous book, it is equally possible that the listing has a much more mundane purpose. Several versions of the book do exist, and the entry may simply be an attempt to prevent theft. Similarly, the University Library of Tromsø in Norway list a translated version of the Necronomicon attributed to Petrus de Dacia and published in 1994, although the document is listed as unavailable, of course. An ad copy for Witchcraft 70, an X-rated film about modern witchcraft, mentioned the Necronomicon as well. In 1973, Owl Press issued an edition of the Necronomicon written in an indecipherable, apparently fictional language known as Duriac. This was a limited edition of 348. The book contains a brief introduction by L. Sprague de Camp. The line between fact and fiction was further blurred in the late 70s when a book purporting to be translated from the real Necronomicon was published. This book, by the pseudonym Simon, had little connection to the fictional Lovecraft mythos, but instead was based on Sumerian mythology. It was later dubbed the Simon Necronomicon. Going into trade paperback in 1980, it has never been out of print, and has sold 800,000 copies by 2006, making it the most popular Necronomicon to date. Despite its contents, the book's marketing focused heavily on the Lovecraftian connection and made sensational claims for the book's magical power. The blurb states it was potentially the most dangerous black book known to the Western world. Three additional volumes have since been published, the Necronomicon Spellbook, a book of path workings with the 50 names of Marduk, dead names. The Dark History of the Necronomicon, a history of the book itself, and of the late 1970s New York occult scene, The Great Gates of the Necronomicon, Instructions of Pathworking with the Simon Necronomicon. A hoax version of the Necronomicon, edited by George Hay, appeared in 1978 and included an introduction by the paranormal researcher and writer Colin Wilson. David Langford described how the book was prepared from a computer analysis of a discovered ciphertext by John Dee. The resulting translation was, in fact, written by occultist Robert Turner, but it was far truer to the Lovecraftian version of the Simon text and even incorporated quotations from Lovecraft's stories in its passages. Wilson also wrote a story, The Return of the Liguar, 
in which the Voynich manuscript turns out to be a copy of the Necronomicon. That's kind of an interesting theory. With the success of the Simon Necronomicon, the controversy surrounding the actual existence of the Necronomicon was such that a detailed book, the Necronomicon Files, was published in 1998, attempting to prove once and for all the book was pure fiction. It covered the well-known Necronomicons in depth, especially the Simon one, along with a number of more obscure ones. It was reprinted and expanded in 2003. In 2004, Necronomicon The Wanderings of El Hazred by Canadian occultist Donald Tyson was published by Llewellyn Worldwide. The Tyson Necronomicon is greatly thought to be closer to Lovecraft's version than other published versions. Donald Tyson has clearly stated that the Necronomicon is fictional, but that has not prevented his book from being the center of some controversy. Tyson has since published Al Hazred, a novelization of the life of the Necronomicon's author. Kenneth Grant, the British occultist, disciple of Aleister Crowley, and head of the Typhonian Ordo Templi Orentius, suggested in his book The Magical Revival in 1972, that there was an unconscious connection between Crowley and Lovecraft. He thought they both drew on the same occult forces. Crowley via his magic and Lovecraft through the dreams which inspired his stories and the Necronomicon. Grant claimed that this Necronomicon existed as an astral book as part of the Akashic Records and could be assessed through ritual magic or in dreams. Grant's ideas on Lovecraft were featured heavily in the introduction of the Simon Necronomicon and also have been backed by Tyson. Now that does bring us to the end of this podcast, part one. Yes, I said part one. That means there's going to be at least two parts on life imitating art. Now we've gone over how the Necronomicon is in fact fiction, but it does inspire people to believe in real things or even create things of their own that they then claim is real. Now there is a danger in that. I don't condone people magically creating things and claiming they are real. That's why research needs to go into different things, and that's why I kind of look into things a little bit deeper on here. Sure, a lot of my stuff comes from the front page of the internet, not Reddit, but whatever I Google and search it first, but I do kind of make sure that it makes sense, be it in my head or fact-checking through footnotes and whatnot. But on the next cast, I do have a very interesting story. Some of you probably have already heard about it. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it does involve a creepypasta, and a very, very sick couple of girls. I'll leave you with that. Don't forget to review the podcast if you like it, or even if you don't. Just leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you do get your podcasts. Be very much appreciated. But until next time...